I talked to you about walking after the flesh or walking after the spirit. This is a chapter written to Christians. Now, there's some of the Bible that's written to the lost. Uh, there are some things you don't have to be saved to, to hear the Bible, put the fear of God in you. Um, but Romans chapter 8 is written to the Christian and about the, the Christian life. As we're going through Romans chapter by chapter, um, I, I, want, I, I want you and I want myself to want what the Spirit of God wants for my life. Um, I have, it, it's, I've known what it's like to follow the, the wants of my friends, follow the culture of the world around me. I know why people don't get saved, because they're sitting there and they're thinking about what their friends will think. And they'll think about what their parents will think, or they'll, they'll wonder, well, that means I'll be a fanatic or whatever. You're letting those things influence you instead of one person, which is the Holy Spirit of God. If you want to be a free human being, free of all the pressure of this world, if you want to have life and liberty, then you follow one influencer, and that's the Holy Spirit of God. So the best influencer, the best friend you've got is the Holy Spirit that God gave you when you got born again. And so I've titled this... Wanting what the Spirit of God wants now. Now, not just in the future, but now. Romans chapter 8. As I introduced last week, I said that Romans chapter 4, 5, and 6 gave us some of the greatest truths ever written. Uh, then came chapter 7, and um, uh, we learned about our flesh and just how depraved and ruined the flesh is and our old sinful nature. And it's just basically wicked. You leave a man to himself for a couple of days and, you know, things fall apart. Uh, we need godly influences. We need um, encouragement. We need preaching. Our flesh just naturally falls apart. And whether, not just health, but I'm talking about our, our, our natural inclination. We learned that in chapter 7. And then we came to chapter 8 where the best promises probably ever written in the Bible are contained. Uh, uh, chapter 8 uh, settles so many facts about your about your salvation, like the fact that you are perfectly pardoned from all sin. That is an absolute fact. It's a foundational truth. You are perfectly pardoned. God didn't didn't pardon um, some of your sins, and you have to work on the rest of them. No, He took care of them all. There's a great fact that you can now mortify, which means to put off your flesh every time sin tempts you to rebel against God. That's a fact. And then one of the greatest facts is you're eternally secure in Christ's grip no matter what. You, you know, uh, it's maybe hard to understand, but a Christian cannot lose their salvation if they tried. You can't. You're eternally secure in Christ. And there's a dozen more facts we're going to notice in this chapter. The Bible's not full of religion. It's full of facts about the spirit and about the soul and about your life. So. We come to chapter 8, and I just want to review, because I could, I literally, these first four verses, I could actually preach week after week after week, and I don't think I'd ever get tired of it. I know you would, maybe, but let me just read these first four verses here. There is therefore now no, what's the word? I love that word. There's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus have made me free from the law of sin and death. One of them was damning me. And this new act and this new work of Christ, this new law, freed me. Verse 3. For what the law could not do, 
in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin didn't condemn me. Well, what did he come to do? He condemned sin in the flesh. Verse four, so that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now, some of you, if you got a new Bible, you got one of these uh, new versions, whatever, those verses are missing in verse one. It just says there's no condemnation in Christ to them. There's in Christ Jesus. And then it stops and it won't continue and say who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Be careful. Anybody editing your Bible. OK, let's just stick with the King James Bible here. By the way, if you haven't noticed, I, I brought this out. I found this on adverts. It's not an invisible Bible. It is to the seeing. It's a Braille New Testament. It's just Matthew and Mark. And you and I look at it. We couldn't read it for for anything. But people who are blind, they learned Braille. That's a Braille Bible. You ought to come up and just feel it and find out how hard it would be to be able to read. But that's somebody who, a guy named Braille, uh, uh, worked up a plan to create letters with dots so that people could read. You ever been on an elevator and you look at all these dots next to one and two? That's for people who can't see and they can see I'm on floor two or I'm looking for floor three. But that's just interesting there. You ought to come up and see this uh, just it, that is just Matthew and Mark. I actually was in a church with a blind pastor in uh, Boston, Massachusetts. And he pulled out two of his portions of scripture. They were this big. He had a five foot shelf of books and it was just his King James Bible <laughs> in Braille. And he'd go and find, I don't know, he's picking up Isaiah and, and Matthew. And that's what he took to the pulpit and he preached from. And he preached from Braille. I mean, I just sitting there. It was awesome. It was awesome. I'm glad the Bible works and can be preached and believed by anybody. So anyway, no condemnation. Uh, that was an absolute statement made by uh, uh, made by the Apostle Paul as a present and eternal fact. It's undeniable. We have there is no condemnation, no damnation. And that's something you ought to be worried about because the world doesn't fear God anymore. You ever notice that? They don't worry about what's going to happen when they die. They've been taught so many times by evolutionists that when you die, you're just dirt, you're worm food, and that's the end of you. Well, let me tell you, that is not all there is to you. And the real you, your soul, will stand before God. And yes, he knows every dark sin, every secret sin, everything. And if you don't have them forgiven, it's like somebody being found out that they've been embezzling or they've been a pedophile and they get exposed, they're going to be punished as they should be, and that's just as you should be. But that brings us to the place where we cry out to Jesus Christ and say, is there any hope? And there is. He can take away by him taking the punishment. He can make it so that all the wrath of God that was supposed to go on you was placed on him and you walk away free. That's how come we can say we have no condemnation on us. Now, don't think you're going to escape damnation. None of us are good enough. As a matter of fact, the very best and most religious aren't good enough. Jesus said to the Pharisees who were, man, they dotted their I's, crossed their T's, they tithed and everything. They were at church. They just, they were the best of the best of the best. And Jesus said these words. He said that ye serpents and ye generation of vipers, he called them snakes, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? And he says, you're not good enough because your facades, you're not real. You're sinners. So um, uh, this, this non, no condemnation statement is 
presented to undeserving sinners, honestly, offers a full pardon with no condemnation at all on us. Uh, every sinner is pardoned, forgiven of all sins by Christ's condemnation of sin, judgment of sin. That's what's breathtaking. He should judge me, but instead he judged my sins so that the sin is removed. Um, uh, can you imagine you going to the doctor? The doctor saying, you've got a cancerous spot. Um, uh, uh, I don't know where. Let's just say on your liver or whatever. And saying, we might as well just kill you now. <laughs> can you imagine your doctor just doing that? Instead, the doctor says, let's get rid of the cancer. Amen. And so what Jesus Christ did, instead of damning us, he damned sin in us. And he takes it away. Uh, and so when, when God takes away my sin record, I walk away with the record of Jesus Christ, his righteousness and his forgiveness. So I can move out of death row. I mean, my sin was killing me where I was headed for hell and I can start to finally live. A lot of you may not realize it, but the moment you got saved, you started to live. If only you would find out just how far you can go with the Christian life. Um, and, um, uh, now that I'm I, now that I'm moved out of that condemnation, that judgment, that guiltiness and into a, a life, I now have something else I'm following after. And that's the spirit of God. So let me just say this. No sin we do now can condemn us. Can condemn a believer to the devil's hell. How can you condemn a forgiven man? You can't. Sins can only hurt our closeness to God, but not our standing with God. Thirdly, sin will cause me to be chastened and corrected by God, but never damned. Uh, I can't get away with sin any more than you can. So there's chastisement. There is correction, but there's no damnation. I have been forgiven. That's what those words mean. So then we come to the last part of, of chapter 8 and verse 1. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't just apply to everybody. It applies to those who are in this thing called Salvation, you're in Christ. Every religious person trying to be good and do good who has not been born again is in their sin. But a sinner, even the most ungodly of sinners, when they just give up trying to be good, and they just trust what Jesus Christ did for them, when he paid for every one of their sins, they are, are modestly placed out of condemnation and into forgiveness, into, by the Holy Spirit, into Jesus Christ. And as I'll say again in just a few minutes, God doesn't see me as a sinner anymore. He sees me as his son. And that blows me away. When a, when, when a believer starts to realize, I am, I am forgiven. I don't have to sin. I am free from my old life. I can pursue the Spirit of God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what could God help me do if I just pursued spiritual things? Now, every born-again Christian now lives a spiritual life. We may not look like it, but you're living a spiritual life. Look in verse, uh, verse 1, he says, Who walk not after the flesh, but after the capital S, Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. So uh, you may find yourself doing some things that are fleshly and doing some things that you know are wrong. But as a Christian, your general desire is to walk after the Spirit, follow after the Spirit, pursue after spiritual things. That's how you know you're saved. If you're here today and you're just here because your parents made you come, if you come to church uh, because you just feel a little bit guilty and you come just to do your duty, 
you're not saved. But if you have a desire to get into a spiritual book, hang around with spiritual people, get your own heart right, you want to get close to God, that's a sign you're saved. You understand? Because a Christian doesn't walk after the flesh generally anymore. We're following after things that are spiritual. That's our life now. Um, God, I just got things I want to just, I just want to simplify. God, when he added the Holy Spirit to our life, he changed our status. This is what's cool, all right? So if you ever looked at a, maybe you were applying for something, it asked you for your marital status. Now, some of you are single. Some of you are married, widowed, divorced. Some of you are depressed. I don't know. What's your status? And all of that, you, you, what, what God did was he changed our status from being a condemned and guilty sinner to that of an adopted son, all because of Jesus Christ. You say, let me tell you what my church did for me. Let me tell you what, what my family did for me. Let me tell you what my, what my friend did for me. Let me tell you what Jesus did for me. He changed my status from guilty and condemned and sinner to forgiven, to, to saint, to a son of God, to a child of God. And, and uh, now let me be real honest with you. Salvation didn't change my flesh. It didn't change and make it sinless. These eyes still have a tendency to look at the wrong thing. These ears still have a tendency to listen to, to somebody talk about somebody else and go, yeah, they deserve that. <laughs> yeah, I still have the tendency to sin. But it's not me anymore because I have a new owner. I, my, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit gave my flesh a new owner. And it's not me. You know who owns my flesh? God Almighty. And the Holy Spirit inside of me says, uh, don't use that. Don't take that. Don't look at that. Let's go here. And he's my new driver in my life. So if you ever notice anything about a marriage, uh, uh, what we call a marriage contract or a marriage certificate or whatever, when somebody is married and they say they're married, they're declaring that they've changed direction. They used to go looking for somebody, and now they found them, haven't they? Their status has changed from looking to settled. Their status has changed from looking for a relationship to in a relationship. You ever seen that status on Facebook? Well, when you get, when you get married, your whole direction has changed from looking for somebody to having them, from being alone to being blessed and, and having somebody in your life for the rest of your life. It's Salvation changes our status, just like that wedding changed your status as well. And it made us free from the law's condemnation. Verse 2 says this, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. I wish I could take, I, I just like to preach the whole thing I preached last week all over. I got a different direction on it and everything else. But we come to verse 5 now. And we're going to talk about walking after the Spirit and walking after the flesh. Let's read verse 5 to 8. It says this, For they that are after the flesh, see that word, circle the word after. That, that gives us, uh, it's, it's in motion. The Spirit's going this direction, and I'm trying to keep up with it. I'm trying to, trying to be right with it. For they that are after the flesh, they do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. 
For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be, so that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Paul warns us about what we're living for. You live for the things of your flesh. It's called lusted after them and the lust of the flesh, desiring things of this world, or whether we're pursuing or following after the things of the Spirit of God. There's just it's just two, two decisions, two, two choices you have to make every day. What are you living for? What are you after in life? You've been uh, living for the biggest house. I, I I listened to somebody, I listened to somebody, I read an article last yesterday. Uh um how somebody made a statement saying it's sad when a person has had only four partners in their life, sexually speaking. And I'm going, what? People pursue all the things of this world thinking that, well, I'll just, I'll go for 15. Well, I'm working on number 31. That's what they're pursuing after. How about looking for the most money? A friend of mine up in, uh, he's the pastor of the church, Lifegate Bible Baptist Church in Tala. He tried to buy a, uh, uh, an acre or two from a guy up in, in the Tala area 10, 15 years ago, whatever. Uh, put a bid in, guy wouldn't respond to him, went to his business, sat down and said, we'd like to buy that property. And, and the man said, not selling it, not selling it, not to you. I'm looking for X amount of money, which is like three times what, what Brother David O'Gorman uh, was offering. And David asked him, why? Why would you want that much money? He says, because I want to be the first Irish billionaire. That's all he wanted. That was 15 years ago. I'm sure there's 20 of them now. But that's what he's after. You know what's funny? That's what a lot of people in this room are after. You just want a little bit more money. What tickles your fancy? What gets you up in the morning? What drives you? Is it just the things of your flesh, like your stomach? Or your wallet? Or is it the things of the Spirit of God? Does anything motivate you that wants to be more spiritual? See, my old life is described of doing things that my body wanted me to do. I mean, I was my own God before I got saved. Uh, what does your body want to experience and enjoy? Uh, before we were saved, if you're born again, you know all you did was you paid attention to what your flesh wanted to do. You thought about pleasing people and pleasing yourself. You thought about drinking whatever you wanted, eating whatever you wanted, watching whatever you wanted, saying whatever you wanted. That was your flesh. That's how you lived. You were a brat. Amen? Admit it. That's all we were. I mean, we hated in our kids. We wonder, when are they ever going to do the dishes without you begging them? We wonder, when are they ever going to mow the grass? We wonder, when are they ever going to clean up the room without us hanging over their head for an hour? There's... We, they, we look at it and we go, stop and grow up. And yet God's looking at us saying the same thing. Are you still just going to do whatever your stomach tells you to do? That's, that's the way we used to live. That ought to be. Now, if you still mainly seek all those things and have no desire for spiritual things, then you're not saved, friend. If all you're thinking about is money and what you're going to do this afternoon and um, the next car you're going to buy or whatever, none of that's sinful. You know, making money's not sinful. Being rich isn't even sinful, you understand? But if that's what you're living for, if that's what you're pursuing after, and you don't have any time for God and no interest in the Bible, no interest in a walk with God, I'm going to spend one whole day, maybe it's next Sunday, I don't know, where we're just going to talk about a spiritual walk. 
with Christ. Not an encounter. Some of you are encountering Jesus Christ this morning. You haven't talked to him all week long. And, 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 and you're, missing, you're missing Christianity. Christianity is a walk with God. It's a daily, moment-by-moment -moment walk. Not like the monks, man. You have to go around and you just mumble into yourself and stuff like this. Not at all. It's real. So you're still dead in your sins. Hold your place here and go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. In verse 19. Because if you have no spiritual life, if your life is just you and what you want and nobody's giving you what you want. Let me tell you what the Bible says in verse 18. John 3, 18, or 19, sorry, 19. And this is the condemnation. The light is coming to the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil, what do they do? They hate the light. Neither cometh to the light, let his deeds should be, uh, be reproved. They don't want to be shown that they're sinful. You know what a good, uh, godly, on fire, passionate Christian wants? Is to be rebuked and shown how to live for God. We don't mind coming to church and the pastor, not particularly pointing them out, but preaching and hitting your sin and you going wow i haven't thought about it in a while i need to get right that's what a christian wants a christian wants preaching a christian wants god to speak to them and go let's get this fixed let's get this right you know why two people can't get along at home because they won't talk about the issues they won't go at the at the point of where the problem is and sometimes you need a counselor to come in and say let's go over this thing ah let's talk about this the thing you don't want to talk about and you know what i do when i come up here I try to find the mind of the Spirit, and then I preach, hoping, knowing that the Holy Spirit will point out something in your life that I don't know about. And it's the Holy Spirit saying, we need to talk. Amen? You needed to go, thank God, because I've been hiding it, I've been running from it, and I need to deal with it and get right. Amen? So, what are we living for? Either you're living for the things of the flesh, or you're living for the things of the Spirit. Um... I got to catch up with where I am. Eight, five. Yeah. Um, and uh, what are you living for? Let's look at uh, let's look at these verses here. There's a comparison here that, that Paul is showing us. And we'll read this verse, these verses five to eight a couple of times, because I want you to see what's in here. There's like two or three layers. Verse five again. For they that are after the flesh, that are following after the flesh, that are desiring they desire, they mind, they obey the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, they follow after, they desire, they pursue, they obey the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I like that. Because the carnal mind is enmity, we'd say is in conflict, is at, is at war against God, for it is not subject to the law of God. I tried to bring in, I wish I could do it, but how many of you ever, maybe you were in secondary school or whatever, maybe it was in primary school, and you had two magnets, what are they called? Bar magnets, had a, a white and a red part, and a white and a red part, and it was north and south pole on the magnet. And you put, you put uh, in one direction, you put the south against the north, and uh, boom, they go together. 
you try to put two of the same things, the South and the South, the S and the S together, they would fight. And they just, you couldn't force them to be together. Maybe with a vice grip, you could. But that's us with God. Our flesh is the pole, is, is, is something that wants to be God. And so when God shows up, we're like, mm. but when you humble yourself and you take the bottom and you turn around, that's repentance. <laughs> that relationship is secure. So anyway, I couldn't find the, the, the magnets, but you get it in your mind. There are two, two things being played out here. Um, and the first one is if we're minding the flesh, not just thinking about it, but serving it. We're carnally minded. That's what the Bible calls it. You say, well, that's not a Christian. Are you kidding me? Every part of this is a Christian. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Go to the right, find 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is writing to Christians in Corinth. Chapter 3, 1 Corinthians, just a few pages to the right. Chapter 3, verse 1, and I, brethren, he's talking to Christians, I could not speak unto you as unto what? Wow. He said, I couldn't teach you as if you were spiritual, but I had to talk to you as if I was talking to carnal, fleshly, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. How many want to go home today for lunch and have just a bowl of milk? Out of a bottle. They say, no, give me some meat. Give me some potatoes. Give me some Brussels sprouts, all right? Okay. Well, see, Paul said, I tried to teach you about some things that are meaty. They take, you have to chew on, you have to ponder, you have to study and learn out. But I had to feed you with milk. Watch it. And not with meat, verse 2, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. You're still babies. For ye are yet what? So can Christians be fleshly, carnal? Can they be minding the things of the flesh? Yes. There are some people, I'm, I'm not going to name names. I don't know. I don't follow you around. But I guarantee you there are some people who go back in their car and they turn right on to 96 FM and their mind is gone. The next spiritual thought will be the next time they come into church. That's them. They're, they're minding. They only think that there's joy in that kind of music. They think there's joy at the disco. They think there's joy in spending money down shopping. And they have no joy of the Holy Ghost. So, carnally minded. That's, that's what it means to mind the flesh. And it causes death. Uh, can a Christian smoke and still go to heaven? Of course they can. But they'll just go to heaven sooner. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Stupidity leads to death. If you live into the flesh, it will kill you one day. Amen. Um, this carnally minded brings forth death. And it is at war with God. Every time you are sitting in church and you're not agreeing with the Bible, your flesh is saying, no, I will not submit. I will not. Because that's its nature. Who are you going to listen to? The Spirit of God? Or to your own conscience and to your flesh? Um, it is at war with God. And it will never be subject or obedient or willingly submissive to the laws of God. And he actually says this. He actually says that your flesh, your hands, your eyes, your mouth, your feet can never please God on their own. 
whatever you do naturally does not please God. Okay. Uh, that's why it has to be trained. You remember your, your parents? <laughs> you were a kid and you let out the longest burp ever. You've been practicing for weeks. And then you said, I know guys who could do their ABCs while they were burping when I was younger. I won't tell you how old. Anyway, <clears throat> man, your parents hearing you do that, you know what they did? They sat you down and said, never burp in public again. Amen? You, but you enjoyed it. Come on, some of you did. Don't you look at me like that. That's our flesh. And our flesh has to be constrained, restrained, trained so that it doesn't do whatever it wants because it doesn't please God or people in its natural state. But let's talk about walking after the Spirit. That's when we are supernaturally desiring, lusting after, pursuing spiritual things now that we're converted. We're spiritually minded now. We actually like talking about spiritual things. We love talking about the Bible. We think it's cool to, to talk about spiritual things. We talked about it, uh, the RNLI, um, uh, the, the lifeboat group stuff. You know, uh, we had them here years ago. It wasn't here. It was over when we were in um, uh, Westgate. And we did a big um, um, fundraiser and we gave them a big, we gave them a check and you know, to support them. And I preached to them. They gave, they, a bunch of them came from the RLNI and they were appreciative of us doing that. But then I gave them the gospel and I preached on save our souls. You see, the reason why people risk their lives and go out of the ocean or go up on the mountains and trying to rescue people is because they're more than just flesh and blood, aren't they? The SOS signal is save our souls. There's something that's at risk, more important than just hands and feet and eyes. It's a soul. And there's, when, you, when you are spiritually minded, you're thinking about more than just your belly, more than just about whether you're happy, more than just about what you're going to do for the day. We're spiritually minded now. We love to do God's will. David says this in Psalm 40, verse 8. He says, oh, how love I thy law. No, no, not that one. Uh, I delight to do thy will, oh, my God. Now, only a Christian says that. I like to do what you say do. That's spiritual mindedness. We experience life when you walk after the, when you're following after the spirit of God, will the spirit of God ruin your life? Yes or no? He doesn't ruin your life. Jesus said, I'm come to give you an abundant life. Now it may be hard, but it never ruins your life. As a matter of fact, I think no matter what you go through is far better than what the world was going to take you through and what hell was going to be because we deserve hell. But Jesus Christ has given us a life that lasts forever, it's only going to be good. We experience a life. You know, most people want out of religion, money. They want friends. But you know what we get? Joy and peace in the Holy Ghost. Take your Bible. You're in Romans chapter 8. Go to chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. When, you're, when you start to get into the Routine of thinking about spiritual things. That's why the that's why the Facebook and your smartphone is one of the biggest curses ever. We used to preach that the television was the biggest curse in the world. You remember that? Television is like kindergarten compared to what's on your phone, isn't it? Because that phone is a distraction so that you never spend any time with God. You know what you need to do sometimes? You need to just sit in the car and do not turn on the radio. And just talk to God and think about God. Think about heaven. Put your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. 
and just worship and praise God and sing whatever comes to your heart. For the entire trip, don't just say it was boring. No, no, it's, it's the Christian life. It's spiritual mindedness. Uh, Romans chapter 14 and verse 17. It's 14, 17 is for the kingdom of God. It's not meat and drink. You know what most people want? They want to have a good meal. They just want to bring on the alcohol. They just want to have a good time. Well, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, right living, and peace. And what's that next word? Joy in the Holy Ghost. Isaiah 26. Go back to the left. Still holding your place in Romans 8. Go back to the left. Find Isaiah chapter 26. I'll bring these verses up again maybe next week. Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. Isaiah 26 and verse 3. This is Isaiah talking to God and saying, Thou wilt keep him in what kind of peace? Who can keep you in perfect peace? Is God Almighty. Look at him. But he puts a condition on it. He says, you know how to have perfect peace? When your mind is stayed on him. Stayed means anchored, focused on like a laser, targeting, and not, not moving away and being distracted. Um, uh, let me keep reading. Whose mind is stayed on thee. Why? Because he trusteth in thee. So you want perfect peace? You want joy? Get into walking after the Spirit of God. You'll experience life like you probably never experienced before. You will find yourself submitting to the will of God gladly. You know where missionaries come from? Right here. You know where pastors and preachers and Bible teachers and Sunday school teachers come from? You. And when the will of God, when God begins to deal with you about serving him, doing something, a Christian who is spiritually minded says, yes! <laughs> you know what a carnal person says? Oh, no! God's going to ruin my life and make me a missionary. That's, that's the difference. You see, we gladly, we, when, you, when you're walking after the Spirit, you gladly submit to the will of God in the small things and the big things. And you know what the biggest thing is? You know what the best thing about walking in the Spirit of God? Yes, please, God. In the simple things. You know what? Some people say, oh, I, I could never please God. What they mean is they could never do the big things. You know what God wants you to do? The simple things. Like forget about yourself. Like just be a blessing. Like pray for somebody. And you know what that does when you're spiritually? That pleases God. That makes God stand up and go, see that, Michael? Michael the archangel. He says, that person makes me happy. Because they're walking in the spirit. They don't have to do great things. They just, they're just following after my spirit. So that's a good comparison, wouldn't you agree? Now, the key to the Christian life is not your willpower. It's the key is, is not... It's not your prayer life in a big sense of the word. It's not, it's not your success in theology. Do you know what the key to the Christian life is? What makes a Christian successful is the spirit of God in you. That's it. God gave you himself, not, not physically, not, not emotionally, but spiritually. Let me show you this. Let me read it again. Verse 9. Let me keep going now in verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh but in the spirit now, if so be that the spirit of God dwells where? In me, in you too. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Wow, doesn't 
not saved. If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life. That's where your life is found, because of righteousness now. But the spirit of him, spirit of God that raised up Jesus from the dead, if he dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall one day also quicken your mortal bodies by his same spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, ye are not, ye, we are debtors not to the flesh anymore to live after the flesh. Do we do it? Some people do. Should we? Not on your life. For if we live after the flesh, can a Christian, if ye live after the flesh, can a Christian follow after the flesh? Yes. Well, if you do live after the flesh, ye shall what? Ouch. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the flesh, put it off, ignore it, walk away from it, ye shall live. And this is where I'm going to finish up. This is the single most important truth you'll ever learn as a Christian. Go to Galatians 5. You're in Romans, and I'll give you a comparison verse. We'll come back in a, uh, to Romans. Go to the right, find Galatians chapter 5. Paul summarizes all of those verses into just one phrase in Galatians 5 and verse 16. Galatians 5, 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You're able to walk away and you can live differently for the rest of your life. Um, so here's the truth, okay? We're not living in the flesh anymore, but in the spirit. Let me draw that out. Let me diagram that, okay? Very simply, you there are two parts of you, as you well know, okay? There's your flesh. That's the old me. That's my past. That's the old man. That's who you're looking at right now. That's that's just Craig Ledbetter. That's the outside. And, and some, some people may bring up, you know, uh, my past and, and things like this. Well, there's also, since I've been born again, there's a new me in my spirit. There's the Holy Spirit. And I don't, I don't live in my past anymore. My past doesn't decide my future anymore. I have eternal life now. And where I used to live in this inclination, in this, in this way, I was just, that was just me. That's how I live. That was my life. My dad once asked me one time why I wanted to wear my hair so long. And I says, because I want to be different. Well, I was lying. I want to be like my friends um, because they all had long hair and stuff. But that was me trying to be in charge. Now I want to, I want to do whatever the Holy Spirit tells me to do. I had one guy say to me, he was drunk when he came to church up in Mallow. He said, if I became a Christian, well, I, well, I have to give up drink. I said, let me tell you this. If you ever get saved, you whatever Jesus tells you to do, I think you should do. Well, well, that's good. <laughs> he walked out. Gave him something to think about. See, everybody says, I got to do this to get saved. It's going to cost me this. Don't think about that. You get saved, and all of a sudden, your wants start changing, don't they? You know, you say, I, I can't put the drink down. I put, put. You know why you can't? Because you're doing your own flesh. And we're going to talk about walking in the Spirit because the key is moving out of that old life and living in the Spirit. I, I have a new identity. I have a new status. Hi, if you truly are married, if you truly have your best friend in your life, how can you be lonely? How can you be bored? How can you be depressed? Same true for a Christian. How can you not have life if the spirit of life is in you?
So uh, we're not living in the flesh anymore. We're not following after it. Mm. The Spirit of God dwells in you. I just got to say this. Uh, why, why did he put his Holy Spirit inside of me? I mean, it just, and, and I want to say, I want to say as, as briefly as I can, he's all you need. He put a person, he put Christ in you in the form of the Holy Spirit, this eternity, okay? And without going too deep, I just want you to think about for a second, he's what I need. He's who I rely upon. He's who I can rest upon. I can relax in and say, he's got everything under control, both outside of me and inside of me. And the spirit of God dwells in you. He's in your life now, man. And the body is now dead and buried and gone as far as God is concerned. And I need to see that as well. I owe my body nothing except to use it for the glory of God. These hands that used to you know, steal or this mouth that used to lie or these eyes that used to lust, I want to use for good now. The only reason why this body should be active is in service of the king. Oh, worship the king. Let's live. This body is is it, all of its wants and desires are dead. I'm living here. And when I need the body, it's going to follow now. I'm going to use it. Uh, the power of the resurrection in me now is my life. Think about the power of, of the Holy Spirit to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. That power is inside of you. Somebody who's dead for three days and three nights, the Holy Spirit came in and resurrected Jesus Christ. He can fix your life. He can fix your mind. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in the Christian. That's life now for us. We can mortify anything. The awesome power of the resurrection is in you. And we can mortify. Well, let me get to my point. Why is it down here? There we are. We can mortify anything that the body throws in our way. Whatever my body lusts after or desires or whatever, I can walk away from and do the work, do the, do the spirit because that's in a whole different house. I don't care what my neighbors are doing. They can be having a disco party and, and uh, drinking parties. I'm in a different address. I'm, I'm pursuing things of the spirit of God question is we got to seek it though because the world will come up and say you know how much advertising you need to eat this cereal you need to go on this holiday you're not going to be happy until you have this kind of a girlfriend and so on and so forth and so on and so forth i can mortify all that which means i can put it off and walk away from it i can ignore it because i know what is of value and what matters see the word of the spirit of god is at work in us now look in verse 14 for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, I love those words, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Not what we will be, but what we are. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with them, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You know what Paul did? 
he added up all the benefits of living in the flesh and following the flesh and following the world, following the devil, and all the benefits of walking in the spirit and being spiritually minded and following Jesus Christ and just, just living differently. And he says, whatever I lose by not giving into the flesh and whatever I don't get to enjoy, I'm not worthy to be compared with my future, with the glory that will be revealed that God has put in us. So what is it the Holy Spirit is doing in us? Number one, he's leading us. Isn't that good? Verse 14 says back there, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You know, a believer now has a new pull, a new force at work in us, drawing us away from sinful desires and into the will of God. A pull, just like the temptations to sin used to pull us. Like when your friends convinced, convinced us to do the wrong things. A believer now has someone in them that pulls them to do the right things. And the Holy Spirit leads us like an internal GPS. How many remember Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. You know what a, a shepherd, a shepherd actually gets down where the sheep are and calls them by name and says, over here, over here. Sheep are dumb. Sheep are almost as stupid as penguins. That was a joke. Anyway, you'll know that one day. You'll understand that. Uh, sheep don't know where the good grass is, don't know where the good water is. And so the shepherd comes in and calls them and gets them to lay down and eat proper grass and be laid by still, calm waters, not agitating. And that's how the Lord leads us. Exodus chapter uh, 13 has Israel coming out of Egypt. How are they going to find the promised land? You know what God does? He turns a nightlight on. So at night, they look out there, and there is a pillar of fire, just a flame of fire out there at the head of them. And all night long, that thing just burned. It wasn't burning anything. It was just a fire right there saying, this is the direction we're going to go. And in the morning, it became a cloud. And this pillar, this tall column of, of cloud just sat there, whether it was a purely clear day or a rainy day or whatever, that cloud was always there. And when the cloud moved, they packed up and they followed the cloud. And even at night, if the fire moved, they packed up and they followed wherever the fire led. That's the Holy Spirit in your life. He's trying to get you to move out of some sin or move out of some situation into the promised land, into the perfect will of God. He leads us. You know what I wish for you is that you wanted to be led. You wanted the Holy Spirit to tell you, this is the way. Follow me. You know, Jesus started that when he came to his disciples and said to some fishermen, he says, follow me. That's all he said. Just, just let me lead you. And if you had that desire and you said, Lord, I'm going out of church today with one prayer request that you would lead me that I wouldn't be led anymore by my own flesh. I wouldn't be led anymore by my friends or by my wife or by my husband or by my kids. I learned to be led by you. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Secondly, freeing us from bondage. Look in verse 15, eight, Romans 8, 15. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. God didn't bring you into another bondage. Um. But ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. I'll talk about that last part in a second. But we've been freed from whatever was in bondage. Uh, the moment you got saved was the freest you've ever been. Think about that for a second. 
you could have put down cigarettes that very moment and you would have been free and you never would have picked them up again. You could have, that was the cleanest. That was, and what happened is after that, you kept holding on and choosing not to deal with cigarettes or not deal with, with uh, your, your pet sins, whatever you're struggling with. Um, you're holding on to that. And the longer you hold on to it, the harder it is to put away, isn't it? But he'll lead you out and he'll pry your fingers open if you'll finally let him. And he will take and take that out of your life and free you because that's his work. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave you the way you are. If you're still the same way you are 10 years after you got saved, I have to ask you, are you saved? Because there has to be some victory in your life. Amen. He's freeing us. And then he draws us closer and closer to God. Look at the end of verse 15. It says, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but have received the spirit of adoption into his family, whereby we cry now, Abba, Father. Wouldn't you like to be able to go on holiday for a month? Would you like to be able to get away from all the stress and the problems of extended family and bills? The Holy Spirit, when you spend time with him, I, I have to tell you, on Saturday night, I get here and a couple other people sometimes come and one of the highlights of my week, uh, and I have many of them, is Saturday night, 6.30. I come out here and I set up somebody. There are people here who already come and clean the Hoover, but I'll come and I'll tidy up. And if you ever want to join me, you're welcome to on a Saturday night, 6.30. Set up, make sure all the hymnals are right, make sure water's all poured out and ready to go for tea and uh, discipleship set up and stuff. And then I come in here and I start praying. And one of the most blessed times you know you've been praying is you forget where you are. And then when you finish, you say, amen, you look around, and you go, oh, oh, I'm here. You see, during that time of prayer, the Bible says we can draw close unto God. We can come before his throne, can't we? We can come boldly, courageously, walk right into the presence of God and forget about where you are. And for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, I don't care. Try praying for an hour. Jesus asked his disciples, can you not pray for just one hour? And that's when all of a sudden that time with God, it's not prayers, it's not words. It's a closeness where you talk to God like he's Abba. Now, Abba, is that, that's a Hebrew word, Aramaic word. It's a Middle Eastern word for daddy. And when I went to church, my dad went to church probably once a year. Christmas time or something like that. And there was that minister up there with his collar on backwards, as a Presbyterian church in a dress. And he stood up there and he talked like this, God or the father and Abraham. I actually talked like that. And so I just rolled over and I was a kid and I just go to sleep in my mom's lap. Somebody I didn't know and I didn't understand. That made God really, really far away to me. Amen. You know what God wants to be? Really, really close where I call him daddy. I, I doubt you'll find that easy to do. But Jesus did. Go to Mark. Take your Bible to it. Go to Mark. Chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. And daddy's one of those words that only a child can say. I mean, one of you come up to me and call me daddy, I'm slapping you, okay? I'm not your daddy. You know, when my kids, when, when 
uh, when they wanted something, they go, Father. <laughs> but when they were just wanting to talk, they go, Daddy. I mean, they're 30 years old and they're saying, Daddy. Oh, that makes me feel good. Amen. Look at Mark chapter 14 and verse 34. Mark 14, 34. He, Jesus, saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry here and watch. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's trying to get his disciples to pray with him, verse 35. And he went forward a little. He fell on the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said these words, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but thou wilt. That's the closest way you can talk to somebody. And when Jesus talked to his heavenly father, he talked to him like a son. He talked to him as a man talking to God and saying, Daddy, I'm doing your will, but can you take this cup right here away from me? Mm. But not my will, but thy will be done. And you know that you will have gotten to the time, to the place where you're praying right when you talk to God that way. That's the Holy Spirit drawing you. If you think that, well, I've got a prayer list. Well, I'm going to pray my 10 minutes. That's not prayer. That's routine. You know what prayer is? Just spending time heart to heart, as close as you can get, talking to him like he cares greatest verse for in the New Testament for a Christian going through a hard time is casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. Isn't that cool? Drawing close to God. What's This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And did you notice back there in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, he says this, the Spirit beareth witness with our spirit that we, I'm sorry, witness with our spirit that we are the children of God and of children than heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Ponder that for a month. How can I be a joint heir with Jesus Christ? I mean, doesn't he own everything? <laughs> Wait a minute, what? So if I have two pennies to rub together, that's all I've got. That's all I've got for now. I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I have a mansion waiting for me in heaven. There's, there is, oh, listen, the Christian life only gets gooder and gooder and gooder. My two pennies don't matter right now. He goes on in verse 17, uh, um, goes on and says, If children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him. That's the third one I'm going to talk about in a second. That we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. You know what the Holy Spirit assures us of? Our relationship with God. We are saved. We are in the family. We are children of God. No doubts anymore. If you're doubting salvation, it's because you're not believing the Bible. Amen. If you're not sure you're saved, I'm going to tell you, get saved by believing what God says. End of story. And then you can walk away and not worry about that one more thing. You know, the only thing you need to worry about after you get saved is others. You don't worry about whether you're living it, whether you're living up to it, whether you're being perfect. You worry about others here in the gospel. We have assurance of relationship with God here. We have assurance of heirship. Airship? I think not an airship like a floating ship, but our, our future being worth whatever we go through now. And by the way, you will go through suffering. Talk to Charity. She's got a baby coming hopefully very soon, but it's worth it. It will be worth it, won't it? Amen. And whatever you're going through right now, it's just like her pregnancy. 
you say, man, I don't want this. I, I never want another baby. <laughs> but then after the baby is born and after you get to heaven, you'll say, I wish I lived more for God. Amen. That's what we'll wish. And the assurance of suffering for Christ. Let me, let me encourage you. If you do start living in the spirit, you're going to suffer. The world's going to make it hard. It's going to come against you. And you just go, Woohoo! I must be doing something right. So what's missing? One word, yielding. Yielding to the still, small voice of the Spirit of God. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Yield to him, and you'll be able to resist the devil. You know, if I'm submitted to God, the devil can't, can't control me anymore. Resist the devil, and he will free from you. Yielding not only to the still, small voice of God, but to the will of God, no matter how hard it is. What is God asking you to do? You know, God doesn't always ask us to do the big things. Sometimes he just asks us to do the small things, and they're hard. Yield to it. Let him lead. Yield to the pressure of the hand of God. When we were at youth camp, we talked about the pressure that a, that a potter puts on the clay, and that, that pressure is to put that piece of clay right in the middle of the wheel and then begin to make something beautiful out of it. God, as he's putting pressure on you, he's trying to get you in the middle of his will so he can make something beautiful out of your life. And when God's putting that pressure on you and that trouble coming at you and the world turning against you and things just not working out, yield and say, Lord, what are you doing? Where do I need to be? What do I need to do? I just want to be in the center of your will. I want to walk in the spirit. I want to find that life that you promised me every day. And then just stay there. Just what is missing is, is the desire to stay humble, stay submissive to, to the will of God. It's not a quick fix. It's a life. So here are the realities. Before the conversion, before the new birth, you were a soul living in a sinful body and had a dead spirit. And that sin was going to condemn you and was condemning you and sending you to hell. <clears throat> but after conversion, yeah, you're still a soul, but you're now living in a new spirit that has become free from that sinful flesh. All your past has been forgiven. There's nothing now that you can do that that has not already been forgiven because Jesus died for all sin, all time. Yeah, my sinful soul, my sinful flesh still sins, but it's not me anymore. It's sin in me. It's my flesh. It's a nature that my flesh has an inclination to sin. It just does. But I have a new inclination. I have a new life, and that's where I live. Jesus, not my church, but Jesus made me free from sin's power. Unfortunately, it didn't make me free from sinning. Maybe you're all honest with you. That flesh is still going to sin. But I'm going to ignore it more and more as I walk in the Spirit, and it will sin less and less. Because I'm not, I'm not feeding it. I'm not giving attention to it. <clears throat> I just know this. Sin's power has been broken, and sin's punishment is gone. Just one of these days, sin's presence will also be gone. Until that time, there's a bit of a choice I make every day. What a, Christian, what a Christian has in this life is overwhelming. What have we got? We got forgiveness. No more condemnation. We have a new nature. We have the mind of Christ and we have the Holy Spirit of God. I told you, I, uh, Romans chapter 8 is chock-a-block full of facts. If you would grab on two, three, four of them, it could change your life. Let's stand. Let's bow your head in prayer.
Heavenly Father, we kind of want the Christian life to be a roller coaster ride. We'd like to just be carried along away from sin. We'd like everything to just be done for us and for us to just enjoy the ride. But it didn't work that way. There are some decisions we have to make on a daily basis even. And there are some consequences for the wrong decisions we need to worry about. And there are some benefits of right decisions. Learn how to walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit, walk with you, be filled with the Spirit of God. Lord, if there's one thing I want this morning is for people in this room, especially the Christians right now, to want that. To want to walk in a spiritual mindset. That their feelings may feel one thing, but their their mind and their, their, their choice has been made. They're going to go follow Jesus. And really, it all starts with a sinful person in this room deciding they need to be saved. They can't do it alone. They can't, they can't be good enough. They'll let Jesus be their life now. And if there's anybody who's not saved today, Lord, they're struggling with guilt and shame. I pray that they would learn that there's only one way for their, all of that, the condemnation, to be gone. And that's by crying out to Jesus Christ right now. They don't have to be baptized. They don't have to say a long prayer. They just need to talk to you. They need to ask you to save them. And I pray that they do. I pray you show them the Holy Spirit has a much better way of leading them than them being on their own. So God, I pray for great encouragement, people, Lord, to, to, to change address and not go by that flesh anymore, mortify it, walk away from it, and live in the Spirit. Because that's where the, the joy is. In Jesus' name, amen.